Hi, this is Michael Buffer, and welcome to the Box Hard Podcast. Hello, everyone. This is Mikey Garcia. Yo, it's your boy, the odd guy himself, Malik King Scott. Hi, I'm Charlie Edwards. This is Fast Eddie Chambers, and you're listening to the Box Hard Podcast with my main man, Joey Coastman. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 56 of the Box Hard Podcast. I'm your host, Joey Coastman. I'm joined, as always, by Ayaz Sumra. Ayaz, how you doing? I'm good, Joey. How are you? Very good, my friend. Very good. It's good to have you back also. Now, this is going to be a bit of a different show to what we usually do. Usually, we bring you a show consisting of two parts. I mean, we're still going to have the two parts, but this one is going to be very, very different. We've got a lot to review, but nothing at all to preview. I repeat, there is no boxing this weekend. There really isn't nothing on TV at all. And really, even around the world, there's not really anything to mention. No real big names fighting, to be honest. So it's going to be a bit of a strange show. So Part one is going to consist of the review part where we review the fights that happened last weekend and last week and, of course, an interview. And then in part two, Ayaz has got a hell of a lot of news to bring us. There's a real a lot of moving around in this week of boxing. There's been so much that's happened. So Ayaz has got a big piece there. And um, in part two, of course, just after the news, we're going to bring you a second interview. So it should be a bit of a bit of a change on this week's show but it's, it's going to be quite exciting i really think it is so if you've tuned in this week once again thank you very much and please remember if you do get any time to leave us a review on itunes we're over the moon with the latest viewings it has been great okay we're going to dive straight into part one now this part as i said the review part we're going to start with a card that happened over in edinburgh scotland on the friday top of the bill Josh Taylor, only 6-0. He was fighting for the vacant Commonwealth super lightweight title. That's the 140 title. And, and as I said, he'd only had six fights going into this bout. Against Dave Ryan, who had 26 fights under his belt, 17 wins and nine losses, I should say. Now, a lot of people thought this might have been a little bit early for Josh Taylor, to be honest. He's um, a prospect that's under the management and under the um, tuition of the McGuigan team. And it was a McGuigan event. Of course, he's trained by Shane McGuigan alongside the likes of Carl Frampton, George Groves, so on. So um, Carl Frampton was in the house and so was George Groves. They'd done a bit of commentating. And Josh Taylor, I've got to say, he looked the real deal. He really, really did. I think it might be the first or second time I've watched him, but he went into the fight full of confidence, almost um, got knocked a little bit for overlooking Dave Ryan. I know that Dave Ryan's got a lot of um, experienced guys in his corner, the likes of Clifton Mitchell, etc. They thought that their man was going to be able to do the job and do it in style. But Josh Taylor got the job done and he becomes the new Commonwealth super lightweight champion in just his seventh fight. So good stuff there for Josh Taylor. It's great to see a lot of our up and coming prospects being moved so quickly. Again, it can work both ways. It, it really can. It, sometimes you get thrown in the deep end a bit too quickly, but this is real good stuff for Josh Taylor. So very, very, very impressive performance. And definitely we're going to be looking out for what's next for him. But, um, definitely one to pay attention to. I didn't know that this man was also on the bill, but heavyweight Nick Webb, we've had him on the show before. I had no idea he was on the bill. A couple of um, first round knockouts he's got now and another first round knockout on this bill. He moved to 8-0 and now and he's 
knockout was over Jakov Gospic, as I said, in the first round. Gospic, a winning record, but a bit of a journeyman. So a good win there for Nick Webb and a good little run out on this bill. He seems to fight quite a lot, like all over the place, really. He fought about five minutes from my house at one point a couple months back, and here he is in Scotland. So great stuff for Nick Webb. He was also on a Hay undercard, if I remember correctly, a few months back. Um, and also on that bill, the last fight to mention, Andrew Selby, a man that I love watching, real classy, classy fighter. He extended his win streak to 6-0 and with a TKO in round five. It was scheduled for 10. Um, that was at super flyweight in terms of weight there. And he beat Felix Moncada. So um, Andrew Selby was actually supposed to fight a different opponent. And I believe he only had one day to prepare for his eventual opponent and his opponent of course had pretty much the same time so you know it was never going to be a fantastic competitive fight or anything like that when you've got someone with the skills of Andrew Selby and Andrew Selby as as always to be honest he shows you he showcases great skills um, a, a range of a real range and variety of different punches and of course his footwork is incredible if you ever watch Andrew Selby the way he moves on his feet is quite exciting even though he's not just he's not really taking punches back because he's good with his with his movement you know he's good at um slipping shots as well he's fantastic slipping shots he really is and um yeah his lateral movement and everything is really really good so even when you see andrew selby facing like a journeyman or something like that which he hasn't done too much by the way in his career in his short career he's fought good opponents but on his feet he's tremendous and he's really exciting he's like a dancer i saw a, a tweet from some boxer i can't remember who it is now so i'm sorry if you're listening but a boxer actually tweeted he is the closest thing to prince nasim hamed uh, i don't you know that might be jumping the gun a bit i understand what they're saying though i truly do he, he's a dancer you know it's he's great to watch him it is exciting so a great win there for andrew selby he's now six and oh and we will be speaking to him very very shortly now that's it for the friday we're now going to go over to saturday a card that took place over in canada just one fight on this bill to mention david lemieux a former middleweight champion he was in a 10 rounder against christian fabian rios um, i actually thought that Lemieux would be able to knock this guy out, but I don't think he'd been stopped before, if I remember correctly, and he wasn't stopped on this occasion. So it went the full 10 rounds, and David Lemieux picked up a unanimous decision win. So his record now, 36 wins and the three losses. That's it for Canada. We're now going to go over to Bolton, a fighter that was on our show last week, top of the bill, Jamie Cox, 20-0 going into this bout. He moved to 21-0 with a points win after 10 rounds. Remember, Jamie Cox likes to get his opponents out of there pretty quickly. He come off of about three first round knockouts going into this fight. But yeah, it, you know, to be completely honest, he was coming off of a year layoff. Now Cox was cut above the left eye in the fifth round. It was due to a head clash, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, Rios was down in the third round. Rios had three points deducted, and Jamie Cox had two points deducted. It was a real rough-and-tumble fight here. Um, I didn't actually see the fight, but um, from what I've heard, it was just, it was absolutely incredible. I mean, it was such a dirty fight. This this other guy, he really should have been disqualified. Uh, Jamie Cox as well, you know, having the two points deducted, it was really a hard fight to ref, you know. So, um, I mean, Jamie Cox was obviously the classier of the guys and he was able to get his shots off. But the other guy, from what I hear, he really come to make it ugly and awkward. It was a little bit like the type of fight that um, we saw between Diego Chavez and Brandon Rios. It was that kind of fight. 
like it was real dirty from what I've heard. But, um, you know, at the end of the day, I hope that Jamie Cox can come out of this fight um, healed up because, you know, he's had a cut open quite bad before on his face. And this one was caused by a head clash, which is always horrible, you know. So all the best to Jamie Cox, a nice guy that was on our show last week. And we wish him all the best for the future, of course. And hopefully he'll be back out very soon. So his record now 21 and 0, a perfect one. Also on that bill, Paul Butler extended his winning record to 22 wins. Of course, he's got that one loss. He won a 10-round points decision over Alexis Ruiz. Zelfa Flash Barrett was also on the bill. He moved to 13-0 with an excellent TKO in the first round. It was a body shot that stopped his opponent, Elvis Gwillen. So it's always good to see prospects putting in those body shots, especially ones that stop opponents. So great stuff there for him. But that's really it for the Bolton card. We're now going to go over to one fight that I just want to mention that happened over in the Bowlers Exhibition Centre, Manchester. United Kingdom of course on this actual date this was the 22nd of October this was last Saturday it was supposed to be a fight between Bradley Ski and Shane Singleton that was supposed to take place in Cardiff now that fight has been postponed or the card had been cancelled something like that I think the card had been cancelled and um Bradley Skeet was now not going to be fighting Shane Singleton, but Shane Singleton decided he was going to have a fight anyway. So he fought a guy who had four wins on his record, five losses and one draw. Now, Shane Singleton, of course, going into this bout with a near-perfect record, 23 wins and one loss. It was a four-rounder. Now, Shane Singleton was down from a left hook in the third round, okay? So he got up and he managed to win, um, you know, a couple of rounds as well. And it ended up being a draw after four rounds. So I know that, you know, Bradley Ski and a couple of his team have took to Twitter to sort of rub it in here. You know, if, if a journeyman can draw with Shane Singleton, imagine what Bradley Ski can do. Listen, I love Bradley Ski, but, um, you know, it was only a four-rounder. It's very, very easy to trip up in a four-rounder, especially against an opponent you don't know much about. Maybe if it went six or eight rounds, we'd have seen Shane Singleton, you know, win the rounds. He, he, like I say, the knockdown played a massive, massive part when it come down to the draw so without the knockdown he would have um he would have won that fight so a bit unlucky there for Shane Singleton and I'm not sure um where he stands with that fight with Bradley Skeet is that now going to happen is it not I'm really not sure but uh hopefully we see that fight because it was set to be pretty good until this happened so um bad stuff for Shane Singleton but uh, that's it for the bowlers exhibition center we're now going to go from Manchester to not very far away to Birmingham West Midlands, the Barclay Card Arena, it's called now. Top of the bill, Sam Eggington against Frankie Gavin, the Battle of Brum. Sam Eggington going into this bout with a record of 18 wins, three losses. And of course, Frankie Gavin, 23 and two. Now, this fight was a, you know, shaping up to be a good fight. A lot of people thought that Sam Eggington was a man who comes to fight, not to box. He comes to fight. He comes to have a dog fight. And Frankie Gavin, the boxer, um, there was a bit of a well, a bit of a clue, to be honest, when it comes down to the weigh-in and Frankie Gavin, who, to be honest, should really be at 140 rather than 147. He actually weighed in, uh, I think it was just over or just under 150. So really, um, really bad situation there for Frankie Gavin. Really unprofessional stroke there. Uh, Ayers, I know that you saw this fight. I know that you took to Twitter, just like a lot of other people, to say it was a real, real good fight. I just wanted to get your take on it. Uh, of course, we'll talk about the result of the fight, but what did you make of the actual fight, you know, rounds through to one and eight before the stoppage came? 
I tell you what, between round five, five and to to round eight was the best run. One minute you got Sam Magenhead pushing Frankie Gavin to the uh, corner of the ring, corner, and then and just taking it like throwing the jabs and punches, one two combinations to him. And then afterwards you see uh, Frankie Gavin throwing that left hook to him. So it was like it's look back back and forth, back and forth. Egerton hitting him, Gavin hitting him, Egerton hitting him, Gavin hitting him. And then at the end of, at the at the final round in the eighth round, then Egerton was throwing all those shots, and Gavin just he just dropped Gavin on the floor. And Gavin couldn't do much. Yeah. I mean, Gavin, you know, the title was only on the line for Eggington because it was for the vacant WBC international welterweight title and for some bragging rights, as they said. Um, Gavin was down early in the third round and he was given a count in the sixth round where I thought the referee, to be honest, could have stopped it. And as I say, he was down finally at the time of the stoppage. It was the eighth round. And that was the end of proceedings. Um, Sam Eggington, listen, he shocked me because I honestly, I will say, I thought that Frankie Gavin was going to be able to do the business here. Frankie Gavin now 23 wins under his belt and three losses. But since signing for Eddie Hearn, as we worked out, as he's had four fights now under Eddie Hearn and um, he's lost two and, and won two. And his two wins were against you know, all respect, but against journeyman, um, he's lost against Kel Brook, which there's no shame in that whatsoever. Kel Brook's a phenomenal fighter, but he's lost here to Sam Eggington. And I'm not knocking Sam Eggington at all. You know, he really does come to fight and you can see the shape he was in, you know, he trained really hard for this fight and this meant everything to him. And as I say, you know, Sam Eggington, he was tremendous. Um, a lot of people are knocking the commentary on Sky. I think that I'm not sure who it was who came out with the comment to say that it was the best performance they'd ever seen from Frankie Gavin. I really, really can't agree with that at all. I don't know how your best performance can be a loss um, in that fashion, you know. He got knocked out. He was down three times, you may as well say. You know, he was given a count three times. The second one wasn't actually a knockdown because he was on his feet. He was given a standing count. Um, obviously, he was completely down from, you know, he couldn't get up after 10 seconds with the final knockdown. And he was down in the third. He got he got up pretty quickly. But, um, yeah, how can you say that someone's best performance is beyond me? Listen, I like Frankie Gavin, by the way. We haven't had him on the show, but I've spoke to him a couple of times. And, you know, he seems like a real nice guy. But he said in the post-fight interview that he'd just been told that he was up on the scorecards. Um, I haven't seen anyone else bring that up at all. And I am disgusted if he was up on the scorecards because that is just a joke. Uh, I'd like to see. I'd like for someone to to, to show us the scorecards from the judges because if he was up in a fight where he was you know, given a count three times. That's just unbelievable. How's that even mathematically possible? That was, that's just a joke. So, um, yeah, that's, that seems like he was just about to get robbed. Sam Eggington. I know that he was celebrating and Eddie Hearn kind of got in the ring and said, you know, go over to, uh, Frankie Gavin and show some sportsmanship. I just, it just seemed like everyone wasn't too happy. Like the promoters and, you know, Eddie Hearn and the rest of them It just seemed like a few people weren't too happy with the result which is a bit strange, but I know that Frankie Gavin from a fantastic amateur pedigree, everybody thinks he was going to go on to big things and losing to Sam Eggington again, no disrespect to Sam Eggington again. I'm a huge fan of his, but you can't see a way back now for Frankie Gavin at all. And I know that Eddie Hearn before the fight said that whoever loses this fight, I can't see a way back from. And then he, he took those words back when he, when he found out that um, Frankie Gavin had lost. And he said that, after a fight like that, they've both got fantastic futures. I don't agree. 
I think that Sam Eggington, we've seen him get schooled by Bradley Skeet. Um, we've seen Frankie Gavin in a real close fight against Bradley Skeet, one that I thought Bradley Skeet nicked, but um, Gavin got the decision on the night. Um, I don't know where these guys go from here. I really don't. I don't see Sam Eggington moving on to like European level and having much success. But then again, if he can get you into a dogfight, if he can fight the way he fought, because I will, I will say this: that was the best performance I've seen from Sam Eggington. Not, I'm not sure I'd say it about Frankie Gavin. You know, I've seen him fight better than that. He just, you know, his timing was off. And um, I wish both both men the real best of luck. I truly, truly do. But I can't see him going very, very far. You know, I can't see after Frankie Gavin lost to Bundu, it was a real telltale sign that, you know, that he's maybe not going to be able to fulfill his potential. But um, that's enough discussing on that point there. Again, if you want to have your say, please tweet us on Twitter at Box Hard Podcast. Every view, every comment, every opinion is welcome. Also on that bill, another upset here, another upset, because I will call the main event an upset. It really was another upset here. Antonia Gogo against Craig Cunningham. Now, Craig Cunningham, I don't think he was given much notice for this fight. And Anthony Agogo was 11-0, and 0, Craig Cunningham 16-1. and 1. Agogo was down in the second round, and he was retired in round eight after complaining of blurred vision. Now, Spike O'Sullivan was ringside. He's wanted to fight Anthony Agogo for such a long time now. It's been a few months. You know, he's been, he's been doing all sorts of funny antics. We've had him on the show talking about Agogo. And um, I don't know if you saw eyes, but he actually threw his mankini into the ring at Agogo when he was in his corner. It's not funny, to be honest, because, you know, Agogo, he, he ended up seriously picking up an injury. As I know that you're going to tell us in the news part, he actually has fractured his eye socket. But at the time, it really looked like um, it might have just been not his day and he just kind of quit a little bit. And I think a lot of people did look at it like that. I'm not so sure people are going to still stick with that opinion because, you know, he's fractured his eye socket. We know how dangerous that can be. But Craig Cunningham was just the better man every single round, you know. I really will say it from start to finish. I think maybe from the second round onwards, he was just in, in, in charge, you know, but is that because of the blurb vision? Is it, is it truly genuine? We'll have to wait and see. And Nia Gogo is a fighter that, you know, I've been a big fan of for quite a while. I really like to back a lot of Brits and I say I'm a fan of almost everyone, but I just really like to get behind the Brits. Most of them anyway. And, um, Anthony Agogo was, you know, is very promising, but now where does he go from here? You know, it's a, he's going to have to really think about what he's going to do. Cause that, that loss there to Craig Cunningham, which, you know, it's no shame at sort of British level, but, it is because Agogo, you know, he's, he's really destined to be a world champion. He's talked about Spike O'Sullivan, Billy Joe Saunders, Chris Eubank Jr. He said he'd be ready for them, um, you know, by this sort of time. He's been played with injuries. And this was a fight that really he was supposed to win pretty convincingly. So it's all gone wrong for him. And that's a real major spanner in the works there. But I uh, wish him all the best. I truly do. And hopefully he can get some sort of rematch and win this fight. But Craig Cunningham picked up the vacant WBC international middleweight title in the process, even though truly he's a light middleweight. So um, it, it wasn't even his comfortable, you know, or most comfortable weight. So it's a real, 
real um, embarrassing loss there for Anthony Agogo. But as I say, I wish him all the best. Another fighter that was on our show last week was also on this card. Brian Rose, he picked up a points win over eight rounds over Stylian Kostov. So Brian Rose now 29 wins, four losses and one draw. There was another upset on this bill. Andy Keats, former opponent of O'Hara Davies, he took on Jordan Cook, who was a prospect 9-0, and and uh, Andy Keats 11-4. and And Andy Keats won this fight, so uh, Keats actually was, was also counted in the eighth round after touching down. He touched a glove on the floor, and but um, that was kind of settled because Cook had a point deducted in the ninth round for a low blow, so um, it was kind of taken away. So, you know, they both had a point take. Well, I say they both, you know, it would have been a 10-8 round for both rounds there. So um, Andy Keats would have scored a 10-8 when Cook had a point taken away, and Cook would have scored a 10-8 in his favour when Keats touched down in the round before. So um, it kind of levelled itself out. But that's a win there on points after 10 rounds for Andy Keats, and that's a bit of an upset there. It really, really is. So Jordan Cook, he'll have to go back to the drawing board there. Uh, Cal Yafai was also on the bill. He moved to 20-0 with a KO in round three. It was a body shot as well, which I always like to see. I truly do. And Cal Yafai, we know he's real class. There was a bit of news that they kind of announced after the fight anyway, Ayaz, but I know that we're going to talk about that in the news segment. Um, also on the bill, Sean Davis moved to 11-0 and and he picked up the WBC International Super Bantamweight title in the process. It was vacant at the time. And that really is it for the reviewing that really is all the reviewing that we've got to do as i said before there is no preview part on this week's show we're going to roll straight into the interview the first interview right now and after we come back from the interview into part two we will proceed with this week's news so of course the last thing to do of part one just before we end it is to welcome our first guest Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome a man that I really do enjoy watching when he steps between the ropes. This is, of course, the British flyweight champion, Mr. Andrew Selby. Andrew, welcome to the show. It's great to have you back on. Yeah, um, glad to be back on myself. Excellent How are you doing? Stuff. Yeah, I'm all good, my friend. Yourself? Yeah, yeah, good. Just first training now. Oh, excellent, excellent. In the gym quickly after the weekend. Now, the last time we spoke was way too long ago, to be honest. We spoke to you last in December on the Christmas special show with your brother and two heavyweights. I think one of them was Charles Martin, funny enough. So I'd like to open up with a basic question, really, Andrew. Are you happy with the way things have gone so far in your career? Um, yeah, definitely with the professionals. Um, I won a British title with five fights. Just had my sixth fight now. And hopefully I'll be fighting. Well, I am definitely fighting on the inking on the George Groves and the card and that's going to be a title which should be announced this week yeah excellent yeah now you've had a blast you know you've won you've won probably every round of, of every fight you've had so far you've beaten a world title challenger and become the British flyweight champion within five fights you fought your sixth pro contest on Saturday and this week marks one year since you turned pro this week a bit later this week I think Sunday of this week it'll be a year since you turned pro so you've ended up having six fights in your first year as a pro which is very good are you happy being that busy and yeah like the amateurs I was fighting all the time and you could ask all my coaches at GB the more I'm active the the better I perform so so as I mentioned um you know, or as you mentioned, you fought on Saturday against a man called Felix Moncada. It was on Channel 5. I watched it, and I have to say, you look great. You know, your footwork especially was fantastic. I love watching your footwork, to be honest. How did it feel in there, Andrew, to get that win? Um, yeah, it was good. It was nice to get a bit of ring rest off, because I am for for five months, because well, I was meant to have challenges for the British title on 
like three guys pulled out. So, but in the gym span all the time, and as I was just getting warmed up in the fight, the referee stopped this. So hopefully, well, my next fight should be a very tough fight, and you get to see the best on me. The better the the fighter, and then the better I am. I think. And I truly believe that because you only had was it like one or two days preparation for this guy because it was a last minute opponent change, wasn't it? Yeah, that was it. Um, I was meant to fight someone who was eleven and zero, I think. Yeah, that's and right. Yeah, yeah, is on the last minute. Um, don't know if I was two or not, but they just chucked someone in. They said he was fit and strong, so I said, "Yeah, okay, I needed to fight, but I come out with the win." Yeah, of course. Now, you've been pitted against Charlie Edwards pretty much since turning pro. Everyone keeps mentioning this whole thing. It's a fight that would be great, perhaps, you know, down the line, maybe for a world title one day. Uh, Charlie just recently on the Brook vs. Golovkin undercard jumped the gun a little bit, a little bit too quickly. He came up short in his bid to become the quickest Englishman in history to win a world title when he took on John Real Casimiro. Firstly, did you watch the fight, Andrew? And if so, what did you think of Charlie's performance and also of Casimiro's? Um... I didn't watch it live, but I watched highlights of it. And Charlie, he had the speed to beat him. But the Casemiro, he was um, experienced. He was a banger. And I think his distance was perfect with Charlie. He, he would just slip the jab a bit. Like, Charlie would throw the jab or one, two. He'd just step out and step back in with powerful shots. And I think Charlie knew he was a, he was a dangerous man. And he was... Maybe he was a bit too scared to let him go just in case he got caught. And that's what happened. But do you give Charlie credit for taking that fight that early, though? Yeah, definitely. Um, as everyone's dreamed to win a world title, he believed he could beat Casemiro. If um, my trainer or my manager said you can find Casemiro tomorrow, I'd say yeah myself. So Excellent stuff. It, obviously, it's, it's early down the line, but you've got to jump to the opportunity. It's all an actual world title for you take it. Yeah, of course. Now, we spoke to your brother, Lee, a few weeks back, right after the Frampton Santa Cruz fight. Is there any updates on him at all? I haven't really heard much. I know that he wanted to get out. I think it was in November a few months back, but nothing's obviously been, been penciled in. Yeah. Is there anything in the near future for him at all? Um, I know he, he went to Japan to watch the two mandatories. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure if the man the winner is from Mexico. Or I'm not sure. But hopefully my brother will be fighting him, say, after Christmas, maybe January. It's... It's not 100%, but that's what we're hoping. Okay, we'll we'll listen out for that. And finally, um, Andrew, obviously, as you said, you're fighting on the 18th at Wembley Arena on the George Groves on the card. Um, I was going to ask you, will you definitely be on that card, which you said, yeah. So um, will that be a British title defence on that bill? Well, no one wants the British title at the moment, but we've got someone in mind. Uh, someone called me out, but I can't say no names yet. Yeah. And, we're just waiting for a confirmation if he wants it. If not, it'll be an international title. Okay, great stuff. And lastly, Andrew, I want to give you the opportunity to thank any sponsors or anyone at all that you may want to thank at all. Uh, please do so. Yeah, um, obviously all of my sponsors. Uh, there's too many to name, but <laughs> you know, without their support, um, obviously I wouldn't be able to get to the gym and back every day. And obviously, thank you to my trainers and managers and supporters. Yeah, great stuff, my friend. Great stuff. Okay, listen, Andrew, you already know we're huge fans of the Selby family here on the Box Hard Podcast. You and your brother are welcome back anytime. I wish you all the best yeah. for the future. We'll keep an eye out for both you and your brother, and no doubt we'll speak soon again. Okay, yeah, thank you for having me. 
Okay, now it's time for part two on this week's show. As I said before, there is no preview because there are no big fights on whatsoever. So um, we're going to start with part two where we're just going to talk about the news. Um, There's a lot of news. There's a lot of hustle and bustle this week in the boxing world. So Ayaz is going to bring the news in for us. And as I say, after this little segment here, we're going to move to the second interview and that will conclude the show. So Ayaz, please bring us in this week's news. Right. James DeGell, world title unification bout against Badu Jack has finally been slated for January 14th in Las Vegas. Yes, this is a fight that we've been waiting for for a long, long time. Both men have recently fought Lucian Butte and both have got wins over him. Um, I'm not, it's, it's a real pick to tell you who performed better, to be honest. I think it probably DeGell done a bit better in his fight than, than um, you know, in his win over Butte than than Badu Jack did, but styles make fights, as the oldest saying boxing goes. And um, this is going to be a cracker. It really, really is. I cannot wait for this fight. It's great to see a unification. It's great to see James DeGale get this fight. He's been asking for it for a long, long, long time. Badu Jack's just had a baby as well. Really, really cute little baby. So, uh, you know, it's great seeing him um, very, very happy outside of the ring. But it's, of course, time to get down to real business because this is going to be the toughest fight of his career. So both men in real tough fights here and uh, made a best man win but of course we're going to back chunky James DeGale any other news for us as Hosea Burton's first British title defence against Frank Bullioni has been added to Anthony Joshua's IBF heavyweight title fight on December the 10th yes now this was a fight that was supposed to happen I think it was um, I think it was a, a couple of weeks back. Uh, it was I can't remember what bill it was on now off the top of my head, but it doesn't matter. Yeah, Frank Bullioni was on the show where he was talking about that fight against Jose Burton and Jose Burton, another guy that I've been pumping up for quite a while now, saying he's you know a great fighter and he's going to go on to really big things. So um, yeah, it's a great fight. I was a bit worried that we were going to you know that fight was just going to slip away and we weren't going to hear nothing about it anymore. But it's great to know that it's back on. Um, Frank Bullioni knocked out the opponent that Jose Burton ended up fighting in a replacement because, of course, Bully only had to pull out of the scheduled first fight with a cut eye. And, um, yeah, as I say, Frank Bully only knocked out the replacement fighter that Jose Burton pulled in, and he did it in five rounds. And, you know, Frank Bullioni was like, right, let's see how you do. Let's see how you do. And Jose Burton actually knocked him out even quicker than Frank Bullioni did. So it's just added a tiny bit more spice to that bout. But that one really will be a good fight. And it's great to see that penciled in for a big bill, which we're expecting it to be a big bill anyway, when Joshua does put his IBF title on the line, which will be in the Manchester Arena on December 10th. Any other news for us, guys? Yes. Arthur Abraham's scheduled rematch with Martin Merry has been postponed due to an injury. Yes, it was supposed to take place over in Monte Carlo on the 12th of November, just um, a couple of weeks away now. And it was, well, it's a great bill, to be honest. Some of the other fights on that card. Um, there's two world title fights on it. There's King Kong Altis on it against Malik Scott. And this fight is not a title fight. It wasn't a title fight because... Arthur Abraham has lost his belt now, his WBO super middleweight title to Gilberto Ramirez. So, um, you know, it took a bit of the edge off of it because when we saw Martin Murray fight 
Arthur Abraham the first time. It was a good close fight. It really was over in Germany. This one's in Monte Carlo. But since then, you know, it's took a bit of edge off it because since then, Arthur Abraham's lost his world title. And we've seen Martin Murray not look great against George Groves in a good fight, to be honest. It really was a good fight. But, you know, I actually thought on fight week that Martin Murray might be able to pull it off. But he looked you know, he he wasn't as good and he ran out of steam even quicker than George Groves did. So um, that was quite, you know, that was quite surprising to me. But I mean, it's going to be a good fight. We're going to get behind uh, Martin Murray, of course, but it is a tough ask because, you know, after Abraham, even though he's been around since Stonehenge, he really is a tough, tough man. He really, really is. And when he's on form, he's pretty much, he's very, very hard to beat. Um, Ayaz, is there any more news for us? Keith Furman and Danny Garcia will unify their WBA and WBC belts on March the 4th. Yes, a good fight, finally, a real good fight. We've A lot of people say that Danny Garcia is a cherry picker. Um, you know, we've wanted to see him in a good fight for a long, long time. He's actually fighting a real sort of warm-up, keep-busy fight, which people are not very happy with in the meantime. Um, I'm not sure when the date for that fight is, but yeah, when he takes on Keith Furman, it's going to be a great fight. And again, it's another unification, which we're, you know, everybody loves a unification bout in boxing. So it's going to be good to see that fight. Just quickly, I as in one word, you ain't got to tell me how or the victory method or whatever. Just tell me, who do you reckon is going to win in that fight between Garcia and Furman, by the way? Furman on points. Ah. Uh... It's such a good fight, man. I, I'll have to tell you a bit closer to the time, but uh, oh, it's a real, it's a real pick'em that one. It really, really is. I think technically the better fighter is probably Danny Garcia, but the stronger, better mover, better at distance rather than fighting on the inside would be Keith Furman. It's, it's a lot to to weigh up. I'll have to give a better prediction nearer the time. Is there any more news for us, Ayers? Adrian Broner will return to the ring and fight Adrian Granados on February the 11th. Yes, um, obviously we know that um, Adrian Broner's been going through some hard times lately and it's good to see that he's over those by the sounds of things and hopefully, as you say, he'll be in the ring on the 11th of February. It's still a bit of a wait from now, still a bit of a a bit of a long period, but um, it'd be good to see him back because despite what you think of him as a person, you know, hardly anyone's a fan of him, but he's a tremendous boxer. Any more news for us, Ayers? I know you said there's one last piece. There's another two more, actually. Two more. Okay, it's fine. Yes. You're rolling them in today. Go on. Okay. Providing Tyson Fury gets his boxing license reinstated by the British Board of Control within 12 months, the WBO have agreed to honour him automatically the mandatory position to fight for his recently vacated belt. Because by then, someone would have won the, cur- uh, the current vacant belt. Yes. Now, this is a nice touch from the WBO. It really seems like um, all the sanctioning bodies have been trying to stab Tyson Fury in the back a little bit. I know that you know he ended up vacating the WBA and WBO titles in the end. They wasn't stripped from him like the IBF. I think when the IBF did that, he kind of didn't care about the IBF belt anymore. It was like, oh, I don't really care. I think he might have threw it in the bin. I think he definitely took it straight out of the bin right after. But uh, Tyson Fury, you know, he's kind of lost his respect for the IBF. Um, he never had the WBC because Deontay Wilder had that one all along. Um, the ring belt, I know he's still the champion of the ring belt. He, he's kept that title. I don't think you can even, I'm not sure if you can vacate that one, to be honest. And um, he's kept he's kept like the lineal title as well. So um, Tyson Fury, you know, he's got a bunch of belts now. 
but but after vacating the WBA and WBO, he's not actually a world champion of any of those sanctioning bodies, the WBO, WBA, IBF, and WBC. So he, he doesn't have any titles. But it's nice to see the WBO do this. It's a real nice touch from them. They've decided here that if he gets reinstated with his British boxing, you know, his license, which the British Boxing Board of Control took from him when learning about the, um, you know, about about what's going on in his life and so on, they, they took his license away. So if he is given his license back, he will be able to fight um, straight away, he'll get thrown straight into a mandatory position and he will get a shot at the new WBO champion. As well, as I say, you know, that belt has been vacated by Tyson Fury. So somebody will fight for it in the meantime. And um, the winner of that fight will be the champion. And Tyson Fury, should he get his license back within 12 months, would get that crack. So that would be good. It's a good, it's a little pathway back for Tyson Fury. And the way he is, he's very spontaneous. It's very much like off the cuff, the way he acts. He just, it just, he, he sort of acts as he as he wants as he feels at the time and i think he will appreciate the wbo for doing that i really do i think that that's a real nice touch from the wba the wbo sorry um the wba we know that the heavyweight landscape there's all a bit crazy with all these titles that they've got regular titles super titles and all that all that interim stuff so it's a bit confusing there and i think they're trying to get rid of those belts you know just to have one or two belts for each division you know i don't think they can really do much on their end the ibf they've kind of backstabbed him the wbc have nothing to do with tyson fury he didn't have that title as i said and the wbo have kind of given him a little bit of a pathway to get quickly back up at the top which is great stuff because as i expressed on last week's show when i had a bit of a rant um you know all these fighters all these heavyweights that haven't really put in the hard work that, that make them worthy enough to even be fighting for a world title let alone to actually end up winning a world title will become champion because they're all getting a shortcut a very very easy route to the top with Tyson Fury doing all the hard work over in Germany then vacating the title so it's very unfortunate stuff there and I could talk all day about that situation so uh, all the best for Tyson Fury and as I say nice touch there from the WBO great stuff right finally Tommy Martin has announced his retirement from boxing due to uh, bleed on the brain Yes, very unfortunate stuff. Tommy Martin, he's been on this show once before as well. And, um, you know, he, he's, he's, he's had to retire. He actually had a fight with John Wayne Hibbert in which he lost that fight. And that was his only loss. And since that fight, I think he's had loads of different, um, you know, brain scans and stuff like that. I think some of the early ones were showing no bleed on the brain. It was all okay. And then he seemed to get a lot of painful headaches and he went back and then there was a bleed. And then I think he wasn't severe enough maybe to, you know, for him to be forced to retire. But then he was training and he was getting in shape again and all that stuff. And he was ready to fight. And then I think that they, you know, they checked again just to make sure and it actually got worse. So uh, it's real devastating stuff there. Tommy Martin has only had 14 professional fights. That's 13 wins and the one loss. So he, he ends his career with a loss. But a good fight it was. He was stopped in the 12th round, but uh, it was a little bit of a war. Um, and, you know, he showed his grit. And in his own words, he actually said that, you know, he's come on a lot so much in the last couple of years and he was never sort of able to fulfill his potential and show everybody what he, you know, what he could have 
done, he never was able to to sort of prove. So a lot of people will never know how good he would have ever been. And most importantly, he won't know himself because he was never able to showcase it on the big stage, you know. So I'm a little bit gutted for him. There's a video, I will just say, a video on YouTube by IF Film London, IFL TV. If you go and check that out, um, I usually don't plug people, by the way, so a little plug there for them. But if you check it out, it's the official statement. It's about a 17-minute long video. I watched it last night, and it's a little bit, you know, it's very heartfelt. You can see that when Tommy Martin's reading his statement to the camera, you can see he almost, you know, he almost goes to sort of, uh, you can kind of, you can kind of hear in his voice that he's battling to not to not burst out, you know, in, into emotion. So um, it's, it's, it's horrible stuff for him. You know, it really, really is. I know that in his personal life, a few things have been going on, but you can go and see the full story there. And it's tragic for a young fighter for this to happen. He's now going to be in the part of the MGM gym setup, I think maybe over in Marbella. So um, he's going to still be involved in the sport, which is the most important thing for him. He doesn't have to go back to a nine to five, um, but it is, you know, he's, it's, it's, ho- it's horrible stuff it really is and I really feel for him because he was a real nice fella and it's been kept secret for quite a while because he was frightened that um, you know he was frightened that they would make him you know take away his boxing license and and, and uh, he would have to retire the, the British Boxing Board of Control would do that but it's all got a bit too dangerous so he's had to come clean about it and I think uh, maybe there was a few whispers from you know from the grapevine sort of thing and um, yeah he's had to retire so like I say all the best to Tommy the Gun Martin he was a pleasure watching he was an exciting fighter and when he fought with his head screwed on properly he he got the job done and and a lot of the time in style so uh, all the best to him and we wish him the best for the future absolutely from me and I here at the Box Hard Podcast is that it for the news Ayers yes that's it for the news okay so Ayers has just given us a fantastic roundup there the news was ongoing it was news after news after news which is absolutely fantastic so we've updated all of your ears now you all know what's going on and the hottest topics in the boxing world have now been covered so thank you very much Ayers for bringing us that piece now the last thing to do before we end part two remember this week we do not have a preview part of the show so the last thing we have to do before we end part two is to welcome our second and final guest Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome the former WBO super lightweight champion of the world, Mr. Kendall Holt. Kendall, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Hey, it's my pleasure, my pleasure. Now, Kendall, I want to give our listeners a bit of a backstory. I've done this with a few fighters now where we've briefly gone over their careers. I usually start with their upbringing. I know that you had a really tough upbringing. Are you able to go into detail just in a nutshell about the things that the young Kendall Holt had to go through? Let's see. You said a nutshell, so, all right, uh... I was born in Paris, New Jersey, a real, you know, not so fun place to grow up. I was taken away from my father. Well, before that, I was put in a foster home because my father, I mean, my mother couldn't take care of me and my my brother and my little sister. So we we were put into foster care. And we were still in Patterson. Uh, A friend of the family saw us playing and he talked to us and told my father where we were. Uh, He went and got us out of foster care. You know, he went through the proper channels to get us out of foster care. Uh, then we went to go live with him. We were subsequently taken away from him and uh, we were put back into the system. And then when I was about four or five years and then uh, went back to go live with my father. And do you have a, um, a relationship with either of your parents these days? 
Yep, I see my father almost every day. My mother, I'm in New Jersey. Uh, my mother moved down to Georgia a couple years ago, but right before you called, I was on the phone with her. So I talk to him both uh, pretty frequently. Okay, great stuff. And um, Kendall, how did you actually get into boxing? Ah, my father got me into boxing, and I see him every day in the gym. And then, you know, he's not my trainer, but after I get finished training with my trainer or in between, he'll say, oh, do this, do that. And I'm t- I am got to remind him, you're not my trainer. And he'll say, boy, <laughs> be quiet, do this, do that. So, it's you know, it's tough being in the gym with him because he still wants me to do what he wants me to do, even though he's not my trainer. <laughs> and what age did you start getting into boxing in the, in the uh, start? About seven. I got started uh, in the basement of the house uh, for a few months. And then my father took me to a local uh, gym in Patterson. Okie dokie. So an early start there, like a lot of other guys. Um, yeah, real early. And just a quick little note on your amateur career. You boxed amateur, of course. You become a three-time um, New Jersey Golden Gloves champion. Do you remember your amateur record at all? Did you face any big names at all when you were in the amateurs? Yeah, well, uh, the biggest name uh, that came... Well, I had faced a couple big amateur amateurs, but the one noticeable name that stands out because of his... Uh, he went professional and did uh, pretty well was Demetrius Hopkins, and Demetrius Hopkins beat me in the National Golden Gloves and won the whole entire tournament and was given the Best Fighter of Tournament Award. Okay, now that's good, and that we're going to get on to this, the whole story of, of your career a little bit, but um, you got your revenge a few years later, though. Oh, uh, yes, I did. <laughs> we'll get on to that. <laughs> we'll get on to that, we'll get on to that. Now, you turned professional when you were 19 years old, and after three years as a pro, you compiled a record of 15-0 and 0 before losing your first fight, which was to Thomas Davis. Now, you were literally beating him from pillar to post for the whole round until he managed to drop you. You rose back up to your feet, only to be dropped again. He only had one loss on his record going into the fight, and that loss was against Louis Calazzo. Now, um, Kendall, although you won every second of the round and it really came down to one good punch that changed the fight, did you learn anything valuable from that loss at all? Yep. What I learned is one fight, one punch can change the entire dynamic of a fight. Um, and I was, I was basically, you know what it was? The fight before that, maybe a month and a half or two months, I don't remember the date. But, uh, yeah, a couple months before that, actually, uh, I made SportsCenter uh, top 10 plays of the week during March Madness, which is, you know, college basketball and is is real big basketball time on sports center and i actually became number one plays of the week so going into the fight where i lost i was on a real big high and when i when i heard him you know being on sports center was a big deal for me it's actually one of the things i wanted to accomplish as a professional fighter and once i heard him and I, that's, that's all i could remember was Oh, I'm about to, I'm about, it's first round. I'm about to get another spectacular knockout, and I'm going to be on Sports Center again. Let's go. And then, you know, I got hit with a punch I was not ready for, I was not expecting, and I did not see coming. Yeah, uh, we all know about those punches. Um, within six months of that loss, though, and as you say, you know, you, you fought a couple months before that because you were very, very, very active, even when you were coming up, you know, against much higher, higher level opposition. So within six months of that loss, you bounced back with two wins, both by unanimous decision, both six rounders. Then you moved down to 140, 
which you probably should have been there a bit earlier than that, to be honest. And oh, you take on you take on the 1996 Olympian, eventual WBC lightweight world champion, David Diaz. Now, he had a record of 26-0 and 0 at the time. Could you walk us through that fight, Kendall? Yeah, sure. David Diaz was 1996 Olympian. He was rated number two in the world by the WBO. And... The fight was offered to Demetrius Hopkins, and Demetrius Hopkins didn't like the amount of money that was offered to him, and because you know he felt uh, David was Olympian, he should have been offered a lot more money. Me, of course, I just lost. I just recently lost. I had uh, two uh, comeback wins, and I felt like I was not in a position to turn down a fight. It was my first big-time fight. It was my first fight on network TV. It was my first 10-round fight. It was one of the... And I felt like... like Because, you know, people were always high on Olympians in boxing. And I felt that because there were so many good, really good Olympians coming out of 2000 when I, uh, when I turned pro, that I felt like for me to get recognized that I had to eventually beat an Olympian. So, and then I was offered 15,000 US dollars. So I wasn't going to turn that down. I didn't, I didn't, I've never made that money, that type of money up until that point. So I wasn't going to turn that down. And um, my, my trainer at the time didn't think I would be able to beat David Diaz. And I'm, and I had to convince him like I can beat him. He's, he's basically, a one-dimensional fighter who just comes forward, comes forward, comes forward, and long as as long as I don't get caught on the ropes, laying on the ropes too long, I'll beat this guy. He won't be able to hit me. And it took some convincing, but I eventually uh, convinced my trainer that I can beat him. Uh, he said that if I was to beat him, then I would need to go away to camp. So Lou Duva made that happy happen, and we went down to uh, Vero Beach. House of Champions and uh, Buddy McGurdy's gym down there where we trained and we got ready, got our weight down. <clears throat> My weight wasn't really high. I never really had a problem with weight up until that point. Um, so the, I was I weighed in at 139. I actually think I was a little young, a little lighter than 139. But they, once I got a 39, the guy who was doing the weight just said, "All right, 139." So the first round came and you know he's coming at me exactly. As I anticipated, and uh, so I'm jabbing or whatever, and I, he gets me trapped against the corner, like you know I didn't want to be, but when he started throwing punches, I knew I had to punch in between his punches, and I punched in between his punches. David Diaz went down for his first time in his career. Absolutely, and as you say, you know you thought that you may have to beat an Olympian, and you certainly did so. You won that fight by TKO in round eight. Now, as as I said before, you know, you were very, very active. Only three months later, you're back in there again, this time against former world title challenger and big puncher, Jamie Rangel. Now, yeah. you won this fight by a split decision. Do you want to tell us about that one? I, I don't, I, I felt, I felt in that fight that I won. I lost the first round. I think, I'm trying to think back, but I don't, I think I maybe lost the most Three rounds, so I had no idea why it was a split decision. I think I thought I won clearly, but uh, you know, first round was real, you know, wasn't 
much action and and I'm going and then you know I hear the, the 10 second thing and I say you know what I'm going to try to still it still around because it wasn't much action and I know it's a championship fight and I want to win rounds convincingly it was my first you know championship fight it was you know a regional title but still I was excited to be fighting for that championship so I went after him and you know Rangel you know big Colombian puncher we all those guys punch hard caught me with a shot I didn't expect I didn't see I didn't anticipate and the shot put me down. So he won the first round 10-8. So I was so uh the rest of the fight I was, you know, basically on the uh I was basically trailing after that at that point. Yeah, and I understand that. But again, you know, being being as active as you were, four months later, you pick up another win, this time by unanimous decision. Now your record's twenty wins, and of course that one loss. Then you know, you're out of the ring for fourteen months at this point, which was, you know, a long layoff at the time, before jumping back in there with Isaac Hlachweo, another eventual world champion. You know, I look for your record, you you fought so many like people that went on to be world champions, which is crazy, you know. And he was also undefeated at the time, his record was 25-0. and A tough fight to come back to after a year and, and like a year and a month layoff. But that fight wasn't as tough as what people thought it would be. You won pretty easily over 12 rounds, Kendall. Um, what do you remember about that fight? I remember, <laughs> I remember being offered that fight. And I, I talked to my trainer. My trainer's name is Terrific. And I said, T, I don't think I could beat this guy. This guy, I'm looking at the, I was looking at the fight where I've walked out a bunch of fights, but he had, he was coming off the Nate Campbell win, and I'm yeah. looking, I'm, and I'm like, and I, and I'm thinking, I said, T, this guy come, he's a little tall, look, he look, looks like he's a little taller than me, and this guy is really busy, and I, just, I hate busy fighters, like <laughs> I'm fighting against busy fighters. I'm like, this guy is busy, busy. He's gonna try to wear me down. And I and I told my trainer, I said, I don't know if I can beat this guy. And now my trainer had to be the one to convince me that I can <laughs> win because to him, he thought it would be an easy fight. And, I, you know, if you watch the fight, I won the fight pretty convincingly. But I felt like he coming off a layoff 15 months, I felt like it was a real, how do I, I felt like it was a real, like a real uh, aggressive type fight, like, I was moving a lot. We was throwing punches. I just felt like really tired afterwards. I felt like it was a real. Uh, I'm trying to think of the word. I can't remember thinking of the word, but I know it was like I felt like you know it was a real fight. Grueling. Yeah, that's a good one. I that and that's just the way I felt. But I was happy with the with the victory. Do you think that that fight would have been easier for you if you were a little bit more active rather than coming off the layoff? You don't think the layoff did you any good at all, no? You know what? The thing is with that layoff, um, I wasn't fighting for 14 months, but I didn't. I've never. I've that whole entire time. I don't even. I don't even think I missed a whole week of uh, training. So I was still in the gym. I was training. I was hitting the bag. I was. Uh, I was having having sparring sessions. I was running. You know, just when the fight came up, I just had to pick it up and be more consistent. But I didn't take any time off out the gym during that time. And that's a key factor in the whole thing, you know. That is, uh, yeah. That's a key factor, of course. Now, you went on to fight, um, after this fight, you went on to fight 
Um, Mike Arnautis, another former world title challenger, another wide unanimous decision win. Now, that one was a WBO title eliminator. You knocked him down in the final round of the contest also. And that win put you in the mandatory position to challenge the WBO world champion, Ricardo Torres. Now, Torres at this point had a record of 31-1, and and that one lost to... Legendary um, Miguel Cotto. Now, you fought Torres over in his native of Colombia. Now, this fight had a seriously controversial conclusion. Kendall, please walk us through the fight for those that may not know about it. All right. Well, before that, I fought the Arnudis fight, and I wanted to point out that Arnudis, when I fought him, was coming off a Ricardo Torres uh, loss that a lot That's of right. people, a lot of people thought he beat Torres. Yeah. Uh, knocked him, knocked him down. Um, so he protested the fight, and they said, "All right, you know, we'll give you another shot." But uh, and and I was coming up, and I was number two. They said, "All right, number one, Mike Arenudis was number one. I was number two. They said, fight for the mandatory. The winner gets Torres." Fast forward, I beat I beat Torres. Uh, I mean, I beat Arenudis. I fly over to uh, Colombia. Treated greatly by everyone in the city. Uh, did some interviews. I went to his gym where they let me work out. It was fine. Everything was cool up until I knocked Torres down. First of all, I knocked him down in the first round. He didn't count it. I remember knocking him down again, and the referee helped him up. And uh, the referee started counting and told me to go to the neutral corner. I went to the neutral corner, and someone hit me in the face with a beer can. Mind you, the referee didn't say anything. The 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 I think one of the guys uh, from the WBO was sitting ringside. He didn't say anything, so it felt like it was me against Colombia, and it felt like you know all there's a it was a, around that time there was a lot of negative things said about Colombians and being in Colombia. And, you know, I got a little nervous. So, like, oh, my God. Like, then I started thinking in the corner, like, what hap- What would happen if I beat this guy? Because I was beating him. And it didn't feel like a championship fight to me. It felt rather easy. I was winning rather easily. It felt easy. And it just didn't feel like a championship fight to me. And then at that point where I got hit in the face with the bear can, I, 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 got, I was, like, really, really, really nervous to actually go on. Because I didn't know what would happen if I actually won. And you also claimed in that fight that um, someone from Torres's corner reached into the ring during the fight and grabbed your leg. I mean, it sounds like a like a crazy allegation if you haven't seen the fight, but you know that that actually happened. Ha- where, where, at what point did that happen? That's I mean, that's, I've, ne- I've never even heard of anything that crazy, you know. All right, I've never I've never watched the first fight in its entirety. I don't remember which round it was, but I remember being in his corner or against the ropes near the corner, and someone grabbed my foot. Uh, near my ankle someone grabbed it and that's when I got off the ropes like and I went over there to my trainer I don't remember but I was like almost like 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 I didn't understand like what was going on like how was any of this stuff happening and no one saying anything and I just did I, I was in complete complete disbelief and as you say you know you were winning that fight pretty handily as well and um you know you lost the fight by an 11th round TKO 
after that fight, there was, as you, as you say, it ended really strangely. People were throwing things in the ring. You know, he landed a, a bunch of punches. I, I don't think you answered back. He didn't throw many back or whatever. And the referee jumped in. Um, so, like I say, it was a bit of a strange stoppage. I know that you did a lot of things outside of the ring to try and force the rematch. But the WBO, even though I think that they reviewed tape and they agreed with with the fact that people were throwing stuff in, they decided to rule against giving you um, an immediate rematch anyway. Could you just talk a little bit about the steps you had to take to try to force uh, an immediate rematch? All right. The uh, the 11th round, let's talk about 11th round first. Uh, yeah. He hit me with a hook. He hit me with a hook, and I went, I didn't, I, hit, I landed against the ropes. And we all know the ropes can't keep you up. It's a knockdown. Fine. Um, so he's coming. This he, At first, the beginning of the 11th round, he came out in full retreat. Like, I mean, I mean, not treat, but he came out in attack mode in the 11th round. I guess his corner told him that he needed to knock out the win. He was behind. So he came out in full attack mode. And, I mean, you know, and I'm just, you know, moving around, moving around. And he, and he, he landed a hook. And it, it, uh, land, I went against the ropes and went down a little bit. Uh, it was counted as a knockdown. And afterwards, uh, he was coming at me. And I remember, you know, moving against the ropes. I wasn't hurt. I remember moving against the ropes, and I don't remember him, like, landing a lot of shots. What I do remember is I did punch back because, I, like I said, I wasn't hurt. I was just moving around the ring until he stopped charging at me. And then uh, I think we was in exchange or something, and the referee stepped in. So despite, you know, the fact that people are throwing things in the ring and whatnot, you don't agree with the stoppage that the, that the referee jumped in, or no. you do? You don't no, I do that. not. I, I was not hurt. Uh, I was, you know, I was coherent. I I knew exactly where I was. I was like I said, I went down from the shot, but I wasn't hurt. I was I wasn't stumbling nothing. Like so, I didn't I didn't feel like the fight should have been stopped. I felt like that they was throwing Torres uh, a lifeline. Even the judge from Colombia had him losing. So I didn't know. I didn't feel like the fight should have been stopped. I mean, it's a championship fight. We're not four round fighters. We don't need to be saved. I didn't need to be saved. I'm in a championship fight, a fight that could potentially change my life. Yeah, of course, of course. Now, for those that may be listening, um, you will know that I mentioned earlier about Kendall. He, he gets revenge on people, and you you see what I'm talking about again. He does get his revenge, so um, please keep listening. So uh, you lost that fight, as I say, by the 11th round, um, a TKO, a bit of a strange one, as I said. Um, that left your record at 22-2. and two. Now, after that fight, you took on yet another world title challenger, this time in the shape of Ben Taki. In a fight, you win by majority decision pretty handily on two judges' scorecards, but a draw on CJ Ross's, the infamous CJ Ross. So, surprise, surprise there. Then you get the rematch that you waited and obviously deserved. Um, it had only been 10 months since the last fight. Now, you're in one corner. In the other corner is the champion, once again, Ricardo Torres. The fight only went one round. Well, it only went 61 seconds, I believe, in truth. And it was one of the most colossal first rounds you'll ever see in boxing. Any listeners that haven't seen this fight, please go on YouTube and take a look seriously. Kendall, you were knocked down in the 13th second at about. I rewatched this the other day. You, you got up only to be knocked down once again some seconds later. When 
you arise to your feet for the second time, Torres is throwing everything at you, trying to get you out of there. You're trapped in the corner and you find a punch from the gods and knock him out cold, making you the WBO super lightweight champion of the world. Kendall, any notes on that fight at all? And also, how good did it feel to become world champ, to go through a horrible upbringing to the top of the world, so to speak? Well, it felt great to become world champion, and it felt as great as it did because it was the rematch against Ricardo Torres. Had it been anyone else, it would have felt great, but not as great as it did that night because it was against Ricardo Torres. Um, first round, he came out charging. Uh, what, I, what I do want people to realize is that a lot of people say there was a headbutt. That's what knocked Torres out. No. I didn't see that at all. I no. did not see that at all. No. The right hand, which was fractured going into the fight because I fell off my motorcycle. It was fractured. Anybody who doesn't believe this can go get the medical records from the Las Vegas hospital. When they uh, x-rayed my hand, it was telling me, you know, you have some old fractures. They already knew that. But anyone who talks about this said i had butted him or whatever let's look at the knockdown when i got up the second time he hit me with a left hook a hard left hook that no one talks about illegally hit me when i got up off the canvas the second time and that right there pissed me off i was angry <laughs> by that and we know when i get angry i get revenge because i don't i don't back down i lay backs down and he came charging at me, came charging at me out of control because he thought I was hurt and he was about to finish the fight. And I had other plans. I thought to myself, it is too early to be going through this and I'm going to win this fight. And I bit down and I just exactly what we did in training. We threw the body shot and he stumbled back and I caught him with the right hand and hit the fight. And that was all she wrote. That's all she wrote. Now, there was supposed to be a third fight between yourself and Ricardo Torres, but a week before that fight was set to take place, Torres pulled out with an illness and you instead fought Demetrius Hopkins in what would be your one and only successful defense of the WBO world title. Now, as I said, you know, he, he as you said, actually, he got one over you in the amateurs and this was your time for revenge. Uh, you won this fight via a split decision over 12 rounds. Any notes on that fight for the listeners, Kendall? Yeah. Uh, that fight was a, uh, a rematch. Let me, tell, let me give you a little background on me and Demetrius Hopkins. We fought in amateurs. He beat me, uh, to, and he won the uh, National Golden Gloves. He beat me. Uh, we both got signed by Lou Duva. We had a fight, and we were in training camp in Texas. Me, him, James Kirkland... Curtis Meeks, uh, who else? Uh, Omar, uh, Omar Davila, uh, who else? You know, the late Oscar, uh, Oscar Diaz. He was there. So it was a bunch of 40-pounders, and we were arguing in, in the hotel room. And I was getting ready to leave out the hotel room uh, to go get ready to wherever I was going. But the door was open. I'm tying my sneaker. I'm bending down, tying my sneaker. And he comes by, and I'm thinking he's going out the door, and he sucker punches me and then runs out the room screaming like as if I was trying to fight him until, uh, oh, first we tried to wrestling around in the hotel room and broke a couple of things, and then uh, he ran into Lou Duva's room like I was attacking him. So this fight was great to have too. Uh, it was a great win for me because we had so much negative history. I really wanted to knock him out. The knockout didn't happen, uh, but I felt, at, I felt as though 
I beat him unanimously. Uh, you know, one judge saw it a different way, but still, I came out on top. I retained my championship title. I just want to touch on that now. You, you, as you say, you know, he won the fight when you was amateurs. You won the fight when you were professional. Who won the wrestling match in the hotel room? Yeah, I won that one too. <laughs> so it's two one to you, yeah. <laughs> and what's your relationship with um, Demetrius like now? Are you are you okay now or not? Yeah, we. I mean, we. I don't. I'm a Gemini, so I don't keep a grudge. We we handled what we had to handle. It happened, and you know that was that was basically it. So you know, and I, I've seen him a couple times, and uh, I think I was at a few years ago. I was in Lancaster City, New Jersey, and he fought for the USBA title or one of those fights on the uh, on some undercard. And uh, we we spoke, so we're we're good. Okay, fair enough. That's 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 good. Now, as as you say, you uh, retained your title there. You you successfully defended it. You then go on and attempt to unify the titles with the WBC world champion at the time, none other than Tim Bradley, still a top fighter today, to be honest. Um, you knocked him down in rounds one and twelve, so the first and last rounds, but ended up losing a unanimous decision. Now, I know that you wanted a rematch, but it never happened. Would you say that Tim Bradley was the best fighter you've been in with, Kendall? The best fighter? Uh, yeah, uh, I would have to say he's the best all-around fighter. Uh, he was in great shape. He hustled. He, he, he didn't have any quit in him. He didn't let the knockdown from round one deter his game plan. He put the pressure. Uh, he was the better guy that night. Yeah, I would have to say he, he is uh, the best fighter that I've faced. Was it a bit frustrating because, you know, you don't hear of many fights, uh, many world title fights where, you know, one fight would be knocked down twice in the fight and go on to, to lose two 10-8s and end up winning unanimously across all three scorecards. Was you frustrated with yourself after that? Uh, I was frustrated um, because I felt like after the knockdown, I should have attacked him and I should have attacked him the second round too because... After the knockdown, you know, it was like we got we got into a clinch and, you know, I wasn't able to land a punch, but I didn't display any urgency in that fight. And I think it, it was a lot to do with uh, me making weight. And then after that fight, I was urged to move up to welterweight, but I just felt like at super lightweight, I was just, a, you know, a big guy, had a big punch. And I didn't understand what making weight and not rehydrating properly was doing to my body so uh so after that you know i won a couple fights i lost a couple fights but it really is the difference in my career right now of not moving up when i was supposed to i didn't listen yeah because since the uh since the bradley fight you've you fought six times you picked up three wins one notable win was a good third round knockout over former world champion julio diaz in 2011 um and of the three losses one was to kaiser mabuza which to be honest, you really didn't seem yourself that night. It didn't didn't look like the uh, the normal Kendall Holt turning up. And the other two was a split decision loss to eventual and still world champion today, Danny Garcia. And your last fight, which was a knockout loss to Lamont Peterson for his IBF world title back in February of 2013. But you've mixed it with good guys. You know, there's no shame in losing to those guys. Oh, it's, yeah, there's no shame in losing. But I just want to point out this, because people come out and say, oh, you know, Kendall's making excuses for losses. I'm not making any excuses. I accept my losses just like I accept my wins. But I think had I moved up earlier 
to welterweight, I would be in a better position right now because if you watch, if you look at the fights I fought, junior welterweight, the last fight I won when I had to make the actual 140 limit, the last fight I won was Demetrius Hopkins, and it was hell making 140 for that fight. And that was the last fight. Anytime I had to make the 140-pound limit, after that, I lost. But when I fought above the 140-pound weight limit, I won because I didn't have to suck down so much and I didn't have to try and rehydrate so fast. You know, my it was just too much for my body, and I didn't realize that. Um, but, you know, each fight that I lost was at the 140-pound limit. Each fight I won was above the 140-pound limit. So I'm thinking maybe had I listened and moved up to 47, then, you know, in my, my career might be might have gone differently. But no, it's still, it's still a good career. It's still a career that, um, you know, millions and millions of people can't come close to winning a, a world title. You know, you, you, you did yourself very proud, especially, you know, anyone that I've spoke to ab- about yourself to, to go from, like I say, the upbringing that you had, you know, in foster care to go on to win a world title is just remarkable in itself. It's, 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 you know, you should be very proud of yourself for that, Kendall. I am. I am. Thank you. Uh, you know what? I went through a lot growing up, but, you know, any, you put any uh, most kids in certain situations, they adapt. And, you know, that's what I do. I adapt to my situation. I adapt to the style that's in front of me in the ring and sparring and life. I just... I just adapt, and I think, you know, it didn't affect me, you know, as people would think it would do to a child. I just, you know, whatever it happened to me, I got on with my life, and I know I didn't want to, you know, go straight the negative path with so many kids who grow up in a in negative environments do. I didn't want to, I didn't want that. I didn't want to end up in jail. I didn't want to, you know, you know, end up on the street being killed or anything like that. So I didn't let it affect me. Is what I'm saying. Yeah, no, but you know, it's uh, mental toughness is is um, very very hard to retain when you're in certain situations like that. So, uh, well done, pat on the back, you know, pat on Thank the back you. for yourself for for being able to go through that. Now, Kendall, myself, along with um, I'm sure a lot of other boxing fans, believe that you were finished with boxing, that you'd retired. However, upon scheduling this interview with you, you signed to fight once again, and it's in a few days' time. Friday the 11th of November um, so I'm going to throw a bunch of questions at you all at once here to be honest firstly why the three and a half year layoff and uh, secondly what are your ambitions at this stage and what have you got left to prove um, I want to be champion again I, I, I've been on for three years um, I went back to school I, I had a couple of fights fall out so I never retired I just had fights fall out my manager at the time was unable to secure a new promotional deal with me. Um, Sarah Fina, who's a good friend of mine, negotiated a deal with me and uh, and Greg Cohen. We got the deal done, and uh, I'm fighting again. <laughs> Simple as that. And which weight would that be at, Kendall? 147, no okay. doubt. <laughs> okay. So for you to – I know, like you say, like you um, – you have you you were never officially retired it's just full, fights have fell out of bed um how i mean have you been you know to, to to still be at 147 which was what your last fight was at for three and a half years um you must have kept yourself pretty pretty disciplined in in that absent time have you been in the gym a lot have you been eating right i take it you know what i've been in the gym on and off in that time period i've missed a couple weeks in a row at best 
Um, I I don't really gain weight a lot. So, you know, the most I weighed was I got up to one time 162. Uh, so, you know, I've been going back and forth to the gym. I've been in and out a couple times, but, uh, you know, I'm, I don't gain much weight. I, I guess I don't gain much weight. So when I have to lose a lot, you know, it, it's hard for me because I don't have much fat, you know, uh, getting ready for the Peterson fight. Uh, I had, uh, six or 7% body fat. And I was at 150 pounds, so it's not much for me to it's not much for me to lose. I see, lucky you. <laughs> <laughs> so, do you know who you'll be fighting in? Well, in in just a few days, and are you signed with any promoter right now? I'm signed with Greg Cohen. Uh, okay. I don't have I don't have an opponent right now, and the fight's November 11th, so we I have uh, a few weeks yet. Yeah, 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 of course. And uh, what is the plan now? How many more fights would you be aiming to have, or are you just taking one fight at a time, Kendall? I'm taking one fight at a time. I actually, I still can fight. I'm not shot. I can, you know, I still have my speed. I have, still have my power. I just have to shake off some ring rust, which, and that's what I plan to do uh, November 11th. Uh, shake off some ring rust. Uh, see where I'm at after that fight. Um, if I need another if I need another uh, tune-up, I'm going to go out about getting another tune-up. And then, you know, I don't, you know, and then see what see what can, what can happen from there. But you're not, um, you know, you, you're looking to try and get a shot pretty quickly. Um, you know, you don't really want to take too many, as you say, you know, keep busy warm-ups in the meantime. It sounds like you want to yeah. get down to business pretty quick, yeah? Yeah, sir. Yes, okay, sir. great yeah. stuff. Always good to hear. And a um, bit of a personal question I want to ask you. Are you comfortable in life outside of the ring, away from boxing? Because we see a lot of boxers have a, you know, an absent period and come back, you know, more but so money? for the financial gain, you know? Yeah. I just want to make sure you're not in that situation because it's never very good to hear that. You know what? I invested the majority of my money and uh, the investment didn't really return anything. So I ended up going back to school for, to work with uh, uh, in a dialysis field, in the medical field. So, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I have a job, so I'm keeping my head above water. Uh, I'm not in the same tax bracket as I once was, but, you know, I'm, you know, I'm living. Okay, that's, that's that's fine, and obviously, as as I said there, um, you know, you're you're coming back at welterweight, which which is great. What are your thoughts on the current landscape of the welterweight division? Obviously, the current champions you've got Furman and Garcia, they're fighting soon, which is going to be a really really good fight, by the way. I'm sure you will agree. You got Kel Brook, the IBF champ, and the WBO champ, um, Jesse Vargas. He's putting his belt on the line against Manny Pacquiao in in a few days' time as well, a couple of weeks' time. So, um, what's your thoughts on yeah the current landscape and also Furman against Garcia and Vargas against Pacquiao. All right. The junior welterweight division, the welterweight division has always been a deep, loaded, talented, rich division. Uh, when I was a junior welterweight, it was the same thing. Now moving up to welterweight is the same thing. There's a There are a lot of killers at this weight class. I wasn't blessed to be in the weight class where I'm just better than everyone and and I was going to blow everyone out of the water. I just wasn't blessed at that time. I'm blessed to be in a division where there will never be a shortage of talent, uh, hard-hitting guys. Uh, it's just a deep division. Um, and that's what I came up looking at, a r- division that was rich in talent. 
Uh, and it's the same thing as the welterweight division. So, I mean, what, what can I say? You have great guys. You have great fighters. You have hard hitters. You have talented guys. You have guys with speed. You have guys with, with uh, talent. You have guys, anything you can find, anything a person needs to become a champion, it's at the welterweight division. So I welcome the challenge. I hope they welcome the challenge of a guy that was one time uh, a world champion. So, you know, I'm just going to make it that much deeper. And just a real quick note on who you reckon is going to win for the uh, Pacquiao, uh, Vargas, and also Furman Garcia, if you can. Uh, you know what? Pacquiao, uh, that's a tough fight. You know what? That, I'm, I, you know, of the last few years, I've been going with all the underdog. Uh, I don't really know who the underdog will be. And, Vargas, Vargas, and, big underdog. Yeah, well, I'm, I mean, in the Thurman fight, but you know what? Everyone Garcia has faced, no one was really rooting with Garcia. Everyone said, oh, no, he's, he's going to lose. And he's been making liars out of everyone. So it's, it's kind of hard to root against Garcia, but then the, the, the confidence and the skill set and the arrogance of Thurman makes you want to root for him. So it, it's kind of a toss-up because... Both guys are good. Both guys have hard punches. Both guys can box. Both guys can move. Both guys, I don't know. It's, it's going to be hard. I don't know. It's, it's going to be, I can't pick one yet. But uh, with the Pacquiao fight, you know, Vargas is the underdog. So it's hard to, you know, I don't think many would pick a fight that he didn't see himself winning. So uh, that's kind of hard too. But I'm, I guess I'm going to go with the older guy because now, I'm the older guy, so I'm going to go with Pacquiao to beat the younger guy, and I don't have an answer for the Thurman and Garcia fight yet. No, neither do I, to be honest. He's, uh, right. he's a real pick in that fight. Um, Kendall, just just real quick as well. Um, out of the champions that are named at the moment, Thurman, Garcia, Brooke and Vargas, providing somehow they all keep their belts, um, which is pretty much impossible. But next year, um, out of the champions at the moment, if you were to be able to get a shot next year at one of these guys, have you got anyone in particular that you prefer to fight out of the lot? And please don't say it, Kell Brook, otherwise I'm putting the phone down. <laughs> No, de- definitely not Kell Brook. You know what? I would definitely want the rematch against Garcia. Uh, I think uh, Garcia's a good champion. He's beaten everyone. A lot of people call him cherry pickers, but he's beaten everyone, people. Uh, you can't take anything away from that guy. I would love to go up against Thurman because, because he has so much confidence. He's not scared of anyone. He has so much confidence. He has, he has a bit of an arrogance because he's so confident. So I would love to go up against him more than I would want to go against Garcia. But I would say Garcia because I've already lost to Garcia and I would love to get that rematch with Garcia. Yeah, we know what happens in the revenge when Kendall Holt's involved. We we, we all know it's a bit of a pattern. Now, before I let you go, Kendall, um, the last the last fight I really just wanted to get your uh, your opinion on which is a fight I know you're definitely deeply interested in Kovalev against Andre Ward November the 19th if I'm if I'm not mistaken a real um, good fight is set up to be how do you see that one playing out I'm going with my boy Andre Ward no doubt about it I'm going with Andre Ward uh, mm. a unanimous 12 round decision simple as that simple as that 
Okay. Listen, Kendall, um, finally as well, so that any of the listeners can follow you on any social medias you may be on, please tell the listeners your Twitter slash Instagram handles, anything that Facebook, anything that they can follow your journey on. Yeah, I'm at uh, Instagram and Twitter. It's Kendall Holt 456. Simple as that. Okay, excellent stuff. And Claude, I forgot to tell you, uh, I'm actually uh, close to signing my first fighter as a manager under my uh, high status entertainment company. So I'm, I'm, that's what I'm doing too. I'm uh, venturing off into management, into boxing management. I forgot about that. Okay, no, that's good. I, I wish you all the best of luck in that. That's uh, that's a challenging field, and um, it'd be great to see you involved, as in in inside the ring and outside of the ring. You know, it's uh, yeah. good stuff. Good stuff for yeah. you. Now, um, Kendall, like I say, I, I I really appreciate you giving us a bit of time this week. I hope you've enjoyed it as much as I have. I wish you all the best of luck for the eleventh of November. And um, like I say, it's been my pleasure. I wish you all the best. God bless you. You too. Thanks a lot. Okay, now it's time to conclude episode 56 of the Box Hard Podcast. I've been your host, Joey Coastman. I, as Summer, has lived up to his nickname as the Trevor McDonald of the boxing world with a stream of the latest news. I'd like to thank our two guests on this week's show, the super talented Andrew Selby, a short and sweet interview with him. And last but not least, we brought you another world champion, this time in the shape of Kendall Holt, an interview I truly enjoyed. And we've done quite a few of those extended but exclusive and highly detailed detailed interviews now with a bunch of former world champions it's always a pleasure it always gives the show a special feel listen the biggest thanks of all goes out to the listeners that tune in each and every show i personally thank all of you so whether you've listened to the show whilst driving whilst laying down whilst jogging around the park or whilst sitting on a toilet it has been my pleasure enjoy your weekends people stay safe and we'll see you next week